Hi, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. Today we're going to talk about how the narcissists unconsciously seek to heal the mother wound. Remember the book that we all read when we were little? It was called, Are You My Mother? Um, I think in this book that um, there was a little bird uh, that was determined to find his missing mother. And since he's unable to really recognize her, he confronts all kinds of things. He goes up to a kitten and a hen and a dog. And I think if I remember correctly, even a bulldozer, he's trying to find her. And he asks each one of these things, you know, um, that he encounters. He says, are you my mother? The relationship between a mother and a son is most likely the singular most important relationship of a young boy's life, since it often determines the quality and nature of every relationship they're ever going to have with women, you know, as they navigate through life. Um, so it's really, really important. When the relationship between the mother and son is fractured or impaired in some way, the consequences can be crippling for the developing child and um, damaging for any hope of growing into a healthy adult. It's just not going to happen. It's interrupted. Um, it's derailed. For the narcissist, he may suffer a lifetime of devastating emotional pain as a result of this failed relationship between him and his mom. Mothers who suffer from their own inability to provide healthy nurturing are often guilty of scripting their sons with a never-ending hunger for validation that can never be filled ever due to the empty void that's created when the mother can't fill that space. So it can take the form of something called emotional incest, which is a pathological form of emotional seduction where mothers turn their sons into psychological surrogate partners. Um, surrogate partners who are expected to meet their emotional needs. Instead of teaching the child how to meet their own, you see, which is what should be happening. Um, so this inappropriate boundary violation leaves the child full of shame, feeling exploited and caught in the position of trying to please mom in order to get anything that resembles mother's milk. It is typically inconsistent, this, um, all of this, and it comes in brief spurts, this nurturing, this feeding the child with the mother's milk, the, the manna, um, it's, it's sporadic, it's not consistent, and it's abruptly taken away and replaced with criticism and contempt, even violence and threats in order to keep the child under control and off balance. In most ways, the son can do nothing wrong one moment, and then the next minute he can't do anything right. This dynamic is often manifested by narcissistic mothers, who act out of the, the uh, something called the golden sun script. The child could also be acting 
the part of the scapegoat or the invisible child. You see, they all have roles in a family. They all have parts to play. And with a dysregulated mother who is not mentally stable or who may have narcissism herself, she assigns these roles to her children that are very dysfunctional roles, and it scripts them, programs them to not be able to function um, in a healthy way. So any way you look at it, the mother is manipulative, dysregulated, and incapable of healthy parenting. Uh, or teaching children, their child appropriate boundaries with any or any kind of positive support, actually. So there's another way a child can be scripted for narcissism. It could be because the mothers just lavish so much praise that the child can become entitled and have feelings of grandiosity. So whether the treatment is inconsistent, abusive, or overly adoring and um, you know, over in the, the extreme in the other direction. Either way, the child is being programmed to have little regard for other people, a weak and unstable core that is unable to power up from the inside out. They don't have that because they haven't been taught that and they haven't experienced it. They haven't received it as a model of how people uh, nurture each other. And uh, they have no true grasp on real authentic emotions. They don't know what love feels like. They don't know what uh, kindness and empathy and compassion and mercy or any of those things feel like. They haven't seen it. They haven't experienced it. Narcissists often feel superior to others. They fantasize about personal successes and they believe that they deserve special treatment. If they feel humiliated through either real or imagined mistreatment, it can become what is called a narcissistic injury. And at that point, they lash out and they just become your worst enemy in the whole world. So addictive personality traits in the mother can cause the child to develop addictive personalities themselves. You add into this equation all the natural genetic predisposition to pass down addiction from one generation to the next. And it becomes highly likely that the child is going to suffer some type of addiction. And while alcohol and drugs are usually the first types of addiction that come to mind, many narcissists suffer from comorbidities such as sexual or pornography addiction. The somatic narcissist, for example, is defined by their obsession with gaining fuel from their sexual exploits and conquests. It's all about the sex. They learn to feed off of their sexual liaisons in ways that validate them, you know, to be adored and all the affection and all the way that their partner is just so uh, blown away by them or infatuated or telling them how amazing they are and all of that. It makes them feel less empty, at least for a little while until it wears off and then they have to go find a fresh new victim that captures their attention and and like a new source of supply. And then the old one is discarded because it's used up and it's not good anymore. So essentially, essentially selfish, mentally unstable and addicted mothers raise selfish, 
mentally unstable and addicted sons or daughters. The attachment between them is toxic. It's often characterized by this push-pull, love-hate relationship. So enter the significant other, otherwise known as the narcissist's primary source of fuel. This fuel is really the number one thing that drives all people with cluster B personality disorders. It defines them. It defines their priorities more than anything else. They're single-minded. They're myopic. They can only see one thing, like a horse with blinders on. And it's that they need this fuel to survive. It's a survival thing. This quest to obtain attention, adoration, affirmation, and acceptance is always on their mind. They are continually on the hunt to find new sources of fuel. Um, And the significant other, well, you know, they're just out of luck because, um, you know, they're, they're, um, you know, maybe they never give up on this person and they look for the best in people and they have trust and loyalty to a fault and they're a healer, but you know, um, no matter what they do, uh, even if they give like 120% every day, um, what's going to happen is they're going to become addicted and trauma bonded and thus unable to get away. Even when the red flags are just waving everywhere. So the narcissist will replicate the relationship with their mother and unbeknownst to their partner, they will perform the same actions again that they did as a child, continually hoping that their partner will be able to parent them more effectively than their own mother, hoping that they will receive the love and validation that they never experienced as a child. And this is a really important dynamic. That's what they're doing. It's called recapitulation. It's a cyclical pattern to repeat this, to try to get it um, because they didn't get it from their moms. Of course, the partner is you know, the partner cannot parent by proxy. Um, It's doomed to fail. One of the most heart-wrenching realizations I had in my marriage was that my husband tried to repeat the same behaviors with me that he did with his mom. He would clean the house fastidiously to surprise me when I, I had been away or I was at work or it was the weekend and I was sleeping late, I would get up and he would show me this sparkling house that was clean and perfect. And, and then he would just beg for praise and approval. Like, aren't you proud of me? Don't you think this looks great? Are you happy that I did this? It was endearing, but it was also the way he tried to solicit positive reactions from his mother who was often absent really inconsistent, emotionally damaged, and deeply troubled. You know, he was doing all he knew how to do to get something that he was never given. Let's think about that. He was just repeating the same behaviors that he did as a child, trying to continue to get something that he was never given. He didn't receive it when he was younger. He didn't receive it when he was growing up. So he was trying to get it from me. I didn't realize it at the time, but I do now. The, the, these eager offers for things like foot rubs 
that, you know, he would always do that for his mom. She was a nurse. She worked long hours. She's on her feet all day. She wanted him to do that for her. Another example, he was like overly polite and courteous and soft-spoken and, and always, you know, would just speak so, so uh, carefully. And I think he learned that. Uh, he manifested it in order to avoid abuse and neglect and other atrocities that, re- that, that resulted in profound shame and dissociation from his emerging sense of self when he was growing up. It was all he knew how to do. That's all he brought forward because the emotions weren't there. They had never been experienced. He didn't receive them. He didn't see them. He didn't feel them. So how would he know them? How would he know? It was his way of pretending to be a real boy and to be a good boy. And clearly it was the result of this pathological programming and neglect. And it was infinitely, it was like a tragic cry for validation. So how could I not just become his number one advocate? That's heartbreaking. How could I not love him in ways that he had never known and champion his awakening and all of that? You know, I believed that he could be better than the people who damaged him. I tried to show him that love without conditions, what that's like, what it feels like, what that looks like. You don't have to do anything. It's just, it's yours. Acceptance without performance, success without envy, integrity without cheating, forgiveness without anger. And things like empathy and compassion and mercy and loyalty and fidelity, commitment and duty, virtue and gratitude, courage without pride. You know, these are the things we teach our children. These are the things we show them. We we provide that for them and then they experience it and then they internalize it and then they know it and they carry it forward and they can do it for others. But you know, I failed. I'm not his mom. And at the heart of the narcissist, well, it's broken very early on in life. And the only way to stop the pain is to silence it by any means possible. That requires kind of a murder or a complete annihilation of self, of the true self, the authentic self. And they build tombs to bury it in, to encase it in stone, to make sure it never sees the light of day because it's injured, it's vulnerable, it's in pain, it's wounded. And after effectively crushing all the emotions that bring that kind of suffering, they're free to create a new alternative self, one that is hollow, empty, impenetrable impenetrable. It's not even real. It's like they died and there's nothing there. They are shapeshifters. They can be anything. They can absorb the qualities and characteristics of other people and make them their own. They become masters of disguise, beautiful chameleons. They walk and talk and appear to be these magnificent creatures, yet they're not real. They're not even real people, and everything about them is a lie. 
those characteristics have been stolen from other people. They don't belong to them. They just took it and put it on and claimed it as their own. But it's not theirs. Mothers may not be completely responsible for what their sons become. Let me just say that because it's, you know, it is their responsible responsibility to like build them and not to break them. But, you know, if they are unwilling or unable to parent their child, they send a damaged, dangerously damaged product out into the world. That personality disordered man child that they raise will not only lead a life without substance or depth, without love or meaning, they will destroy everyone who tries to love them into being, to bring them back to life. So to answer the question, are you my mother? Are you my mother? The answer is no. I'm not your mother. I was not his mother, and I could never be her. I'm a mother to my own children, and I have made my own mistakes that damaged them. The biggest mistake was directing all of my energy into trying to fix my narcissist husband and bring him back to life. But you know, you can't reanimate the dead, no matter how hard you try. Think about that. You cannot reanimate the dead, no matter how hard you try. Um, I only lost valuable time with my own children, and ultimately, in many ways, I lost them while I was swept away by something that I couldn't change, just refusing to give up on it believing that I could do it. If I were his mother, I would wonder, where is he? Where is he right now, tonight? Alone in his walled garden of delusions and deception, or perhaps roaming the streets like the predator that he's become? I was his wife for many years, and I still weep for what he has become now. I weep for my own children, for the ways that I failed to prepare them for the world, the ways I failed to set an example, to, to show them healthy boundaries, to teach them that you always, you know, choose, choose wisely, you know, that you choose your children, the ways that I failed to heal neither them nor myself. But I'm still a mother, and I was his wife for a long, long time. And the things that mothers do to damage their children is not to be underestimated. I failed to help him rise above his history. And in the process, I failed to help my own children in the ways that they needed. We all hunger for that mother's milk. We all pass along the sins of our mothers. We all seek to be whole. But when we sit with the idea that we are responsible for not just our own actions, but for the ripple effects they have on our children, suddenly our choices have much more gravity. And the weight of that responsibility should make all mothers pause to check the pulse of their parenting. They are, you know, there are no do-overs. And there are no really second chances.